0: Welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast with me, Graham Phillips, and Gareth Dix, your hosts. Welcome, Gareth. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Doing really well and very much looking forward to tonight's session. Um, We're going to be speaking about uh, unconditional election. That's what we're talking about tonight. This is a continuation of our little mini sort of sojourn through the doctrines of grace uh we began last time out talking about total depravity and i would encourage you if you haven't already listened to that one it's probably worth your time going back and listening to that one first before you dive into this session it will make more sense uh, what we're oh, saying tonight will. yeah in, in light of that won't it so uh yeah so we, we we're keen to do this um <laughs> gareth please help me why, why are we keen to do this series on the doctrines of grace <laughs> I think, like really, it doesn't get taught in churches, I mean, hardly at all, does
1: it? And uh, I think these are things that need to be taught. You you often won't get this in a midweek discipleship course in your church very often. It's true. And I think even really in the mainstream church quite a bit, these doctrines of grace aren't taught. And yet, actually, as we look at this, we'll understand that having an understanding of God's sovereignty and salvation and how salvation really comes about and and where we fit in with all of that is actually a really vitally important thing for every Christian. And I think we have this view as well quite a lot of the time in the modern church, as we've mentioned before in this podcast, there's this idea that somehow, we're, you know, the world kind of revolves around us somehow, and mm. God's just kind of really wants to make sure that you're, you're enjoying your life and, and everything's kind of for us. Actually, no, it's all for God, it's yep. all for Him, it's all for His glory. And This is why I think it is actually really important that we get to grips with these these things and, and study it on a deeper level and I know lots of people also have objections to this and we were just saying before we went went live that didn't we that uh, quite a lot of people aren't used to hearing these things no. taught in church on a Sunday and so hearing uh, Calvinistic or reformed theology uh, talked about or where it gets spoken about is almost a bit alien to a lot of people and yet you go back a few hundred years even maybe a hundred years the Victorian times you, this is what you'd hear from pulpits up and down the land so yeah we think it's really important and we 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 ourselves uh, want to share that and to and to really go into more
0: depth as to what this is all about absolutely i mean you know we are as obviously as ministers we're given the responsibility of of teaching people um, teaching people not just our own desires, not teaching people our own dreams, visions, and stuff like that—you know—makes me want to puke just thinking about it. Um, <laughs> Junior You're coming up to give you ask you what you want. And- I said on Sunday in our church. Actually, I was, I was I was thinking a bit about church and yeah, just saying essentially, you know, where does our vision come from? Where does our kind of commission come from as ministers? Well, it comes from the 66 books of the Bible. Yeah, that's my vision. That's my mission yeah, it's all in there absolutely right and so w- why do we teach these things we teach them because we believe what 2 timothy three sixteen says that all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god or woman indeed may be complete equipped for every good work so we we teach these things um not because we have a particular interest in um getting in scraps online with people over doctrinal issues that is not why we do these things no. we do them because we see <laughs> hopefully these Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully not we, we do these things because they're things that we see presented in scripture and therefore we feel that they are worthy of discussion and worthy not just of discussion as though they were up for debate but rather we discuss them because they are in the bible and therefore as ministers we should not just be discussing them we should be heralding them we should be preaching them we should be believing them and we should be commending them to other believers to also take in these beliefs for themselves and be strengthened by them so that's why we do this and i do think often you know there's such an ignorance as gareth said these these doctrines are not taught in church you will not hear a pastor in your average evangelical church stand up there and say today we're going to talk about sovereign election you're just not going to see it you know Um, and so what happens then is people um people become ignorant uh, about these things. And soon enough, given 20, 30 years of pastors not preaching on these things, uh, they become taboo. Uh, they they become laughable in the ears of your average churchgoer, you know, who, who are just used to showing up on Sunday and hearing about how wonderful they are and how much God loves them. And, you know, uh, how much they are the captain of the ship of their own lives. You know, they then they hear God is sovereign and it depends on him, not me, that I'm saved well that's scary Um, I don't feel very loved and very comforted by that Um, and so yeah it can be a shock to people but we believe that these doctrines are in scripture for a reason they're in there for our upbuilding as paul says in that passage we've just read that they're there for our upbuilding. they're there for teaching they're there for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that we might be complete so they have also a practical usage these doctrines are practical um and yeah, people absolutely right people might say well how how on earth is it practical for me to know that humanity is utterly sinful. Uh, How is it practical for me to know um, that I'm saved ultimately because of God's electing grace? Well, actually, the Bible says these things are absolutely practical. Uh, They help you to frame your worship. They help you to frame your life experience and become a more humble Christian, more humble believer. So, I think there's a a number of good reasons that I can think of for doing a series like this because we want to commend these doctrines to you as our brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um we want to commend them to you that they will build you up and they will encourage you. They might not on the face of it feel comforting, but I'm telling you now as a former arminian as somebody who used to abominate these doctrines and laugh them off these doctrines really have strengthened my faith, they've strengthened my witness and we'll talk about this later but they've actually strengthened my witness in evangelism I'm out on the streets very regularly in town um, telling people about Jesus far from these doctrines causing me to become lackadaisical in my evangelism, they've actually spurred me on so yeah, um, I think I, I wanted to to, to, to say that um, to present some reasons why we're doing this personally so that's what we're going to do isn't it Gareth we're sort of going to yeah take the next kind of 45 minutes or so to to discuss um, and Gareth I don't know about you but have you had what kinds of reactions have you had from people when you have preached on election what what sorts of responses have you had from people
1: I, do you not know a real mixture um i've had some some people and do you know what funnily enough it's actually i found and this might surprise you but it's been kind of the minority that um that has kind of said oh i don't really like this i found that because there's so there's so much comforting reassurance in in preaching the doctrines of grace Um, particularly when you talk about election, the fact is if God chose me, that means that once saved, always saved Mm. and that is is the assurance that is lacking from an Arminian point of view. I will never forget one time I was preaching, you know, in, in a larger church context as well and you know, this was this wasn't a reformed church, but it was a larger church and I and I I started reading some verses from Ephesians one and talking about this is what's true for us if we're in Christ and and there's just this big big sort of you know, cheer in you know, in a kind of reverent cheer across the congregation, where people went, "Amen!" and cheered, and it was like, "This is amazing! This is such wonderful news!" and and, that, and it, I remember it just kind of made, made made my sort of hair stand on end. So I thought, "Wow!" That that people actually, when you say to them, "God chose you from before the beginning of time." If you're if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, God chose you before the creation of the world, and people were like, "Wow!" Yeah, praise God, Amen. That's amazing, and and the feeling of just love and euphoria, <coughs> you know that godly kind of excitement that this is amazing this is this is this is such good news i never forget another time i was in a i was meeting up with a guy who um he he was he was he's a new Christian and he just couldn't understand how God for, could forgive him for the things that he'd done wrong in his life. And he'd made some mistakes in his life and he was really racked with guilt. Again, I was just sat in a, in a coffee shop with him and I, I just ran out of answers, which is sometimes the best time really. Yeah, definitely. And I just, I, I just grabbed my Bible, turned to Ephesians chapter one, handed him the Bible. said, just read that. And he read mm. the first few verses of Ephesians one. And he just suddenly looked up with his eyes wide open, his mouth open. And he said to me, if this is true, then this is the greatest news that there is. <laughs>
0: That's so cool. That's and such I'm a like, soundbite. <laughs>
1: it, is, it is true, and it is the greatest news that there is. So
0: my experience has actually been... That's so good. It's been good. Really positive. But there, isn't that funny? Because I think, you know, when I talk to, to my wife about this, about election, we, we've had a few conversations. Just, just because, um, you know, obviously, you know, my recent experience is that... Um, you know, taking up these doctrines has has lost me a lot of friends, <laughs> lost me a lot yeah, of associates, yeah. and has, because of the lack of understanding about what it means to believe in election and predestination, um, I, I've had some pretty, you know it's pretty unsettling responses from people um, even so far as people saying you know oh you believe in these things so are you saying you're not a Christian anymore you know and it's like what yeah wow all sorts of things but talking to my wife Becca about election she just said well how can you not believe it how can oh, you re- yes, it's it's right so there, true, yeah, and 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 it's almost it is, isn't it? It's almost like and when you preach election, you God chose you before the foundation of the word. When you preach these things to new believers, they take them with childlike faith. You have to learn yourself out of the belief of unconditional election. You actually have to kind of like um, yeah think your way out of it, um, and I think. Yeah, it's one of those doctrines that I think the Spirit clearly teaches and there's a joy in it, Um, and it's very obvious in Scripture. You just can't get away from language like the elect. It's everywhere in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, you know, uh, Deuteronomy 7, you know, I chose you. Um, I chose you not because you were the largest nation. Um, I chose you and set my love upon you. You know, uh, the, the elections right the way through Scripture, God's sovereign election of his people. Yeah and you can't get away from the language like when the apostles wrote to these churches they often called them the name the elect but if yeah. you used to stand up in front of a congregation now and say um to the elect good, good morning elect people they they would go what's what's he been taking <laughs> yeah, you know, if he lost <laughs> your mind yeah <laughs> um so you know i think that there is a it, 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 there, there is something to be said for presenting these doctrines as they are I think that many Christians do believe them and certainly believe them in their own testimony um, but you know when it comes to kind of you become a little bit more I don't know uh, what's the word you, you begin to kind of like think about these things and you think well hang on a minute if you know if God elected me well what, what if he didn't elect my friend you know what that you begin yeah. to try and think through these problems and as you mature in faith and, and, and I think it's often from not having good resources at hand yeah. or not having a pastor that's willing to sit down with you and talk these things through that a lot of Christians have, have arrived at unbiblical positions uh, be, yeah. because they've been worried what, what what if this doctrine of election uh, doctrine of God choosing man um, means somehow maybe that God isn't fair right like and, yeah. and that can't be right because The Bible says God's love. So uh, they try to work through an answer that pleases them rationally to find an answer for this question, for this problem. And they're not presented with good resource. They're not presented with a solid biblical answer for it. And uh, sure enough, you know, that's where a lot of these problems come from. You can end up with a very man-centered view of election where the term election or the word predestination is essentially robbed of all its meaning. And it just becomes this kind of meaningless man-centered thing where yeah god elects but on the basis of your faith and it's like well okay then so really we just kind of elect ourselves and god just rubber stamps that right (laughs) because we we do all the work god rubber stamps it so his election is robbed of its meaning um so we we, want to talk about that today because the bottom line is uh if you don't believe in if you don't believe in election at all right That's an unchristian position to hold. No, it really is. Because all Christians have to believe in election of some kind. So the dividing line isn't between Christians who believe in election and Christians who don't. The dividing line is actually between Christians who believe in unconditional election as in god elects not on the basis of any pre-existing condition in mankind but purely because of his good pleasure that's unconditional election and conditional election and that is those who would say that god elects but this is on the basis of the condition some kind of favorable condition in those who he is electing so that that's the dividing line we're talking about it's not between those who believe in election and those who don't and i think that's 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 really got to got to say that um from the outset you have to you're bound by scripture to believe in some form of doctrine of election it's just how you ha, how you decide whether it's conditional or unconditional or yeah. some kind of weird hybrid of the two so <laughs> that's what we're talking about today yeah i mean this this is the thing that i think
1: when you think about the whole thing about election as well if if god kind of if if he's n- reacting to some kind of faith then to me that's kind of a like a reactive kind of salvation rather than proactive that that God is kind of looking to see what we do and I think also the thing about that as well is you look at you know if God is responding to what's going to happen well you you go back into the Old Testament and you think about what happens with Israel for example let's look at Israel for a moment and think about it, you know, look how they behave. Look how idolatrous and adulterous they are. Look how unfaithful <laughs> they are to God. Is God choosing them? To think. You know, I know you're going to behave like this. God, God chooses them despite the yeah, way absolutely. they're going to behave, and despite the fact that He's going to have to send His Son to the cross. That there is no way that you can look at this and say. I mean, even if I look at my own life and I think to myself. You know, what, what have I done in my life, even as a Christian, that somehow warrants that God would want to choose me over someone else? <laughs> yeah. Like, you saw, I mean, I remember Charles Spurgeon once said, in, uh, he said that, um, I, I'm glad God, glad God didn't choose uh, God uh, didn't choose me after I was born, because he certainly wouldn't have chosen me if he hadn't predestined me, yeah. if he'd have known what I was really like. And I think most of us would say this, like, if God actually know, if God chose me on the grounds of what I'm really like and my decisions, like, he would never have chosen me. So it has to be outside of time. And in, and in his sovereignty and I think this is something as Christians that we have to humble ourselves and I think as we start to look at this and I think the the kind of first question we need to look at is you know essentially what is unconditional election yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think this is a thing that we need to sort of unpack it a little bit and say okay so what is unconditional election How how would we answer that
0: yeah I mean before we get into that, we, we're going to go and take a look at some confessions of faith in a moment just to try and ground ourselves in some of our Protestant heritage. Um, but the thing to say from the off would be, look, you know, what favorable condition could God find in man? Yeah. What favourable condition could there be? Especially after we've literally spent the last session looking at Romans chapter 3. I'm just going to refresh our memories there just a little bit. Uh, Romans 3 chapter, sorry, Romans 3 verse 10, as it's written, There's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. Listen to this. No one seeks for God. No one seeks for God Uh, all have turned aside together. They become worthless and it goes on and on. So the idea of the God seeker, right? The person that's out there just searching for God, like of their own free volition. No aid of God's grace is an unbiblical category. No one seeks for God. So what favorable condition could God find in mankind that is not of his own doing? in order to elect them in the first place. But let's take a look, shall we? I've just got here pulled up in front of me the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, um, what we're going to do is just compare and contrast a little bit uh, to try and get an understanding of what unconditional election is. We're going to try and ground ourselves in some of the Protestant Confessions of Faith. These are, again, just to reiterate, if you're new to the show... um, We believe in sola scriptura. We believe that that God's word is the ultimate authority in the life of a believer. Um, However, we do believe that under scripture, um, as a secondary line of defense against heresy, we can really make a lot of use out of the historic creeds and confessions that have been handed down to us the nicene creed the you know the apostles creed um the athanasian creed and then more recently these reformed confessions like the westminster like the london baptist confession the heidelberg the belgic the 40 the 39 articles rather (laughs) before gareth slaps me upside the head 39 of them (laughs) um uh, you know of the christian religion and so these can just help us to buttress biblical truth. We're not saying if they're of the same level of scripture, but we are saying that these are really succinct summaries uh, of biblical truth. And so what I'm going to do is just take a quick look at Article 3 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is of God's eternal decree. So I'm going to read a few of the numbers, if that's all right, Gareth, and then we can just compare and contrast these. So number one, it says, God from all eternity did by by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of se- second causes taken away but rather established number 2 although god knows whatsoever may come or can come to pass in all supposed conditions yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions number three by the decree of god for the manifestation of his glory some men and angels are predestined unto everlasting life and others foreordained to everlasting death these ain't number four these angels and men thus predestinated and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed and their numbers so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or decreased and number five those of mankind that are predestined unto life god before the foundation of the world was laid according to his eternal and immutable purpose and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will has chosen in christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love without any foresight of faith or good works or perseverance in either of them or any other thing in the creature as conditions or causes moving him unto this decision and all to the praise of his glorious grace. So that's a really succinct rundown of what's meant by unconditional election. God's electing of certain men. um, We're talking about humans today of certain men and women is a decision which is the root the beginning the outset of their journey towards glorification as we talk about this later in Romans chapter 8 the golden chain of redemption that those who he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son Uh, those who he called he justified those who he justified um, he I I forget it doesn't go that quickly does it there's another one but basically the golden chain of redemption there in Romans 8 this is what we're talking about that election God's um, God's favour essentially upon this elect group of people is the root and foundation of their faith, of their sanctification, of their justification, and ultimately their glorification. And this election, this setting of God's love upon his people isn't because of a, some pre-existing condition in them. What this means is that God's favour, his election isn't contingent Okay, it's not contingent upon faith in us as if we were the main mover, as if we were the main cause of our own election. No, 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 it's not based on that, it's just a setting of his love upon us for his own good pleasure. In yep. fact, as I, as I, um, <clears throat> As Gareth mentioned earlier on, uh, we'll talk about Ephesians 1 in a moment, but I just love this in Deuteronomy 7, uh, verses 6 to 8. It says, "...for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number more than any other people, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the land of Pharaoh, the king. And when you read that, doesn't that just remind you almost of this passage in Ephesians chapter one? Verses yeah three to six with blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ According to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved <coughs> so again In both passages, we've got the root of election, the root of God's choice, not being some condition in either his people, Israel, or in his church, of course, those who are grafted in, not being some condition that's favorable in them, but rather just the good pleasure of God uh, in himself. He's doing this because of his purposes, his will, his, it's his own pleasure so I think that makes it quite clear I don't know if you've got something else to contrast that with uh, Gareth
1: yeah so like uh, 39 articles as an Anglican minister um, 39 articles represent yeah articles represent yeah (laughs) uh, the article 17 of predestination and election and it says predestination to life is the everlasting purpose of God whereby before the foundation of the world were laid he have constantly decreed by his counsel secret to us to deliver from curse and damnation those whom he have chosen in Christ out of mankind and to bring them by Christ to everlasting salvation as vessels made to honour and I think that's really yeah. significant that, that particular part of it where it's says of this ves- as vessels made to honor and i just i want to just briefly bring something up which I, I noticed in john's gospel firstly jesus talking to his disciples he said you in john 15 verse 16 mm. and jesus says you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit mm and and there's that's kind of echoed in ephesians 2 verse 10 isn't it for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so there is god choosing us in order to use us to his glory as it says in ephesians 1 uh 5 6 uh, 5 verses 5 to 6 he predestined us for adoption as sons through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace which with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So essentially yeah. the foreknowledge of God is based on his decree, That's on his it. plan, yeah. on his purpose that expresses his will. It's not on some foreseen act of, of positive so volition good. on the part of man. And so this is this is God's initiative, not, not ours. This mm. is completely on God and and he has chosen us uh, for his glory even though we don't deserve it and he's already planned the good things we're going to do so the amazing thing is you and I for example as ministers if you know God willing you know God uses us and is using us hopefully in our ministries but we at no point can say well do you know what God I've, I've done X Y Z for you because God say well <laughs> I, I already planned you to do that so yeah <laughs> you don't get you know sorry to break it to you guys who are in <coughs> ministry particularly but we don't get any of the glory but actually no. that's okay because the whole point is everything that we do is because God has blessed us not just with salvation but all of us as christians not just those of us in ministry god has given us good works in advance for us to do and 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 though and it's that's what is part of the re- the assurance of being a christian is when you see that god's using you and when god uses you you say oh that that was the good thing that god wanted me to do to be used by him for his kingdom and for his glory
0: yeah absolutely so good i, I love um that article is that article 17 of the article 17 from the 39 articles i love it and it's uh, i think it's a continuation of that same article um it says as the godly consideration of predestination and our election in christ is full of sweet pleasant and unspeakable comfort to godly persons i love that because it's so true isn't it it's like yeah when i know that you know as a believer god has elected me not because of my belief It, it just puts me in a position of rest because I'm, I know that it wasn't because of some quality that I was able to produce this faith, this good work that meant God would elect me because then I'd worry, well, what happens if my faith fails? What happens if it yeah. crumbles? What happens if I backslide? Well, will God not elect me anymore? Will I no longer be one of the elect or did, was I just kidding myself? Knowing this, I know that my faith won't fail. As long as I'm looking no. to Christ, my faith will not fail because I've been elected by God. I've been chosen first by him and it flows. My faith, my good works all flow from his love, from his electing love. Um, and that's. I think that's such a comfort, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I think that's 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 the difference between seeing this as some kind of strange kind of old doctrine and, and actually recognizing no this is in the Bible this is the the reassurance we have when we read the Bible properly which as we're going to see in a moment a bit later on this is all throughout the Bible and when you're reading the Bible properly and uh, that's that
0: comes out time and time and time again yeah absolutely and i think this 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 is another thing that's just occurring to me right now is that this view of god's sovereignty people often think oh it sounds so mean and you know clinical and actually it's the opposite it's the it's the absolute opposite because election is is god showing love it's showing love and it means that his fatherly love for you is where your faith, where your good works, where everything that you do as a Christian flow from. It flows from His love, and in fact, you know, I'll, I'll just mention quickly. Go back to the Arminian position on this, which I used to hold to, which would be that election is based on faith. As in, and what what we mean by that is that there is a particular view that says, well. Yes, God elects certain people to salvation, but the the means by which he does this is that he looks down the corridors of time. He looks down the corridors of time and he sees in the future who will choose him. And he basically just rubber stamps and says, well, they're my elect. Right. Uh, So it's based on their future faith God uh, can see into the future and he can see who's going to believe at a certain point isn't it essentially e- exactly that and and what they'll do so I've heard some anyway not saying all by any stretch there are Armenians with with uh you know much better argumentation than this um but some will say well look here's the scripture for that to prove it it says in Romans eight twenty nine, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son so there you have it yeah he foreknew them he knew that they would believe and then he predestined them right so the predestining came as a result of his foreknowledge and of course it goes on in verse 30 to say and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also Glorified. That's what we call the golden chain of redemption. I think we've done that on this show before. Um, And so they say, well, there you've got it. You know, the the predestining of Christians to be conformed into the image of the Son is actually rooted in God's foreknowing of their faith. Now, here's the issue with this, um, and why I don't think it's a verse that actually works in the Arminians' favour, is that, uh, firstly, um, foreknowledge is... There is is not a noun. It's not the noun foreknowledge. It's a verb, okay? Yeah. It's the verb uh, proagno, okay? Proagno, the Greek verb proagno, which is is to foreknow. Um, however, whenever we see that verb proagno and it's God doing the foreknowing, it always speaks of His election, His electing yeah. love. So we've got it again um, in. We've got it again in uh, Romans 11, the same book in Romans 11, verse 2. It says, God has not rejected his people who he foreknew. Again, this isn't a a knowledge of bare facts about the nation Israel. This is a favor. This is a covenantal love that he has with them. We've got it again uh, about Christ in 1 Peter 20. Talking about Christ, he was foreknown. Before the foundation of the world, are you telling me that this is just telling us that that the Father God had had a knowledge of base facts about the Son before the foundation of the world? Of course, it's not. It's, it's talking. No. It's talking in the Hebrew sense of yada, right? To know was, was a lot more that, like when Adam knew Eve. He he didn't he <laughs> he didn't kind of like do one of those like. Cringe-worthy games with his wife, where where the God showed up and was like, "Right, okay, Adam, tell me five facts about your wife. Go, right." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. we're not talking about that kind of yada, guys. This is the kind of yada um, that is between a husband and wife, and uh, and and there is fruit from it, right? So this foreknowledge is talking about a favor. It's talking about love. It's talking about um, a a covenantal relationship whenever you see proegno you're talking about god's electing love where he is the subject of the verb it's really really interesting um so that's proegno and of course then um what what else is interesting here is even if you take that word for no even if you believe like the arminian that this literally just means that god had a base foreknowledge which he does of all those who will believe right even if you just take it to mean that so those whom he foreknew would have faith he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and so he foreknows their faith he then predestines them that's the next thing he does so it's locked in he's predestined them to be conformed into the image of his son right into the image of Christ and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified so once you're predestined then you, you are called and those whom he called he then justifies so the fruit of predestination is that you're called and the fruit of calling is that you are justified okay now who are those who are justified then who are those who are saved well they're those who are called yeah now what do you mean by called this is R.C. Sproul's argument he would say what do we mean by called here okay do we mean the calling of the preaching of the gospel is that what this means if so then all those who were called are necessarily justified but neither the Reformed Christian nor the Arminian believes that. <laughs> Unless you're a universalist, you don't believe that everybody that hears the call gets saved. We know that's not true. No. Okay. So this is not talking about some outward call of the preaching of the gospel. This is talking about an effectual inward call, the call of God, which draws yeah. a sinner to himself okay all those who are called inwardly and effectually by the holy spirit are necessarily justified may write with god and those who are justified are necessarily glorified so we don't see any falling away from faith here but more importantly those who god sees if you're an Arminian, you believe this foreknowing is just a bare knowledge of future faith What you've got here, then, is an unfair advantage given to those who God sees future faith in. They are given this inward effectual call, whereas those who do not have foreseen faith in their life are not given the opportunity to be justified because they're not given an effectual inner call. (laughs) So you can see, even if we strip the word foreknow of its true meaning and we just make it a bare foreknowledge, we still have this issue of one set of people being given an inward effectual call and others not so you can see the problem it's a dual problem here number one for no doesn't just mean base knowledge of facts it means a covenantal love Um, and then secondly even if we take it to just mean a bare knowledge of facts we still if as an armenian you still have to deal with the rest of that passage which Shows an unfair advantage given to those whom he sees faith in, and therefore, there are some people on that view that are walking around who God will not give an inward, effectual call to. So, yeah, there we well, go. I, think, I
1: mean, that is a great way of putting it. And I, I mean, for me, like when you when we talk about you know, on Arminian uh, conditional election, straight away, I've I've got some major problems with that I mean theological problems obviously but they're kind of logical problems because yeah. I kind of think there's a logic to this as well this is what we try to stress in this podcast is there is a, a biblical logic to all this and I'd say there are three significant problems that I have with the Arminian view firstly it undermines the total sovereignty of God yeah so you're saying no no God can't just choose because he's God and he's going to decide who he's going to choose hmm. you're saying God has got to choose someone on the grounds of the merit of how they exercise their free will at some point in the future. Yeah. So by definition you God's not sovereign in that. God is reactive to, to reactive. whatever humanity does in future. That's uh, right. I'm like well that you you basically strip God from from his total sovereignty. Secondly, it also denies the total depravity of man which obviously if you go back to previous podcasts, we go in depth about and talk about the fact that we're dead in our trespasses and sins you know we are dead so you know this is a kind of almost really undermining just how bad total depravity is that there is no ability or to exercise a free will to put our faith in Christ because we're dead we don't have that ability and you know you only have to see a child you know learning how to walk and you know the child's disobeying the, 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 his parents before he can even walk you know yeah. there's a there's a fallen nature that is inside of us right from the earliest days so we're denying the total depravity that every part of our nature body mind and soul is corrupted and thirdly it, it also assumes a pelagian view of sin Yes. That somehow sin doesn't bind us, that, that we are actually able to kind of, there is some good in us that, that you know, I can actually, as an unbeliever, I ha- I can actually choose not to sin. I can, you know, and you might say, well, you know, some you know, people can choose not to go and kill someone or whatever, but I would argue that's actually the grace of God that God withholds yeah, people from doing terrible sin. things within yeah. his sovereignty. And I, so I think there's so much where just logically that there, this this Arminian view it it doesn't go far enough and it doesn't explain things which for me scripture is so clear about and I want to give an example of this just like a a couple of practical examples because again scripture explains scripture you want to understand scripture read scripture scripture will explain scripture so to give you an example for one um, Jacob and Esau now let's look in Romans 9 very unpopular chapter I might say with a lot of people but Romans 9 11 to 13 and it says and this is talking about jacob and esau though they uh, were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad notice that they haven't done anything yet they haven't been born yet Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Again, we've mentioned this, this is absolutely key. It's not because of works, but because of him who calls. This conditional election is based on future works, Mm. what a person is going to do in the future. But no, it's not because of works, but because of him, God who calls. And she, I was told, that's Rebecca, was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, I've just got to be honest right now, just be totally honest with you. If I'm choosing between Jacob and Esau, I'm always choosing Esau. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not being funny. I mean, Esau, he's a good, I mean, he just seems a good guy. He's a useful alpha male, goes out hunting. He's probably going to hand you a beer to drink whilst he's cooking the game that he's gone out and killed jacob he's lazy you know he's he's a mummy's boy you know jacob's just sort of hanging around in his underpants playing video games all day all day <laughs> long he's just a, a, he's a useless guy really he's a liar he's 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 a deceiver you know he's you know w- w- you know steals his, his his brother's birthright and and kind of kind of cons his father into 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 blessing him and yet God doesn't choose Jacob and yeah. I remember as a kid in Sunday school learning about Jacob and Esau and I was so cross Yeah, you cut Jake, for him, Jacob you? got blessed and I was so pleased when he got stitched up by his father-in-law <laughs> <laughs> you know because I was a vindictive kid but he just sort of think oh good at least because you look at the both of you, you think I don't like Jacob esau esau seems a good guy and yet jacob i loved and esau i hated and this is the thing that when you go a bit further down the line you realize because god chose jacob this really kind of good for nothing guy really because God chose Jacob it was Jacob who saw a vision of heaven opening up before Mm. him it was Jacob who wrestled all night long with God one of my favourite images in scripture Jacob wrestling with God and saying I won't let you go unless you bless me it was Jacob who as an elderly man leant on his staff worshipping the Lord it was Jacob who fathered the 12 tribes of Israel and was called Israel himself the forefather and so, when you look back, you kind of when you look at the whole picture, you think, "What a wonderful man of God, yeah, but only because God chose him, only because God had a plan that we 're able to look back and say, "Look how awful he was before he met with God yeah and that 's really to me that's the, that is the gospel Christian message that is, look how awful I was before I met with Christ, because he had already <coughs> chosen yeah. to do that before the beginning of time mm. and it 's so important to stress that election is God's divine plan not man's future behaviour yeah. otherwise none of us would be saved if no, you think about no, no. It. and I
0: think to carry on reading there from Romans 9 as well it says immediately after that passage of Jacob I loved Esau, I hated what shall we say then is there injustice on God's part because that's the, the immediate question that rises yeah. up in our hearts isn't it how's that fair well what should we say then is there injustice on God's part by no means for he says to Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion so then it depends not on human will or exertion but on God who has mercy right there again we've got the sovereign free grace of God we talk so much about the free will of man well what about the free will of God what about what about the free will to bestow love and kindness and grace on whomever he wills Um, but we raise our voices up don't we well that's not fair but the Bible's answer to that is listen um Yeah, (laughs) I will have mercy on whom I have mercy I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion so it depends not on human will or exertion but on God who have mercy for the scripture says to Pharaoh for this very purpose I raised you up that I might show my power in you um, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills and of course we know from scriptural witness how was it that God's power was shown in Pharaoh yeah Uh, ask yourself that question how was it that god's power was shown in pharaoh did he uh, love him and bless him multiply his flocks make sure that his reign continued you know forever and ever no he judged him severely (laughs) he um, yeah he raised him up as a vessel fitted for destruction uh, as we read shortly and that was the god that was God's power being shown in Pharaoh. It says he was raised up for that purpose. And then we go on to say you will then say to me, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? And so this again is that question on our hearts. Well, you know, this is this isn't fair, right? How can God yeah. how can God judge us for doing these things if he has Prepared us to do these things. It only makes sense if we understand that Pharaoh was raised up for the very purpose yeah. of being destroyed by God and having the, the people taken out from his kingdom, his firstborn dying, etc. How can we say then, uh, you know, we can't resist God's sovereign will? But the Bible answer to that isn't to get philosophical on us. It just says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God?
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, you get clapped
0: clapped back by the Bible. Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of one, uh, out of the same lump, one vessel for honourable, one vessel for honourable use, and another for dishonourable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Now that's a serious statement. Yeah. Right? <laughs> In order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Yeah. So. Yeah, an incredible passage that really, for me, um, was a hammer, um, a hammer blow to my Arminianism. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I need, and I'll
1: throw out another one out there as well for anyone who's thinking, oh, you know, go on, give me another one. Um, Luke, have a look at this. Luke 4, uh, reading from verse 25. Luke 4, verse 25. And, and Jesus is in the synagogue at this point, And he's, he's he's talking to, to the religious, religious rulers. And he says to them, he reminds them, they would have known this if they'd known their, their scriptures, which they very likely would have done. And Jesus says, there were many widows in Israel in the day, of elijah but elijah was only sent to one this one pagan widow in the land of sidon during the great famine so here's this 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 woman she was the the, the same people group as jezebel um who's trying (laughs) to kill elijah and yet and yet god sends elijah to this this one woman during the during the famine and then jesus goes on again and he gives another example he says that there are many lepers in israel in the time of the prophet elisha none of them were cleansed Except for Naaman the Syrian, and that famous story about Naaman, how he was cleansed, washing in the Jordan. Jesus, says, look, here's two people uh, that 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 god reached out and and blessed and healed and looked after and i want to know i want to show something very significant here right after jesus says this in the jewish synagogue it goes on to say the next couple of verses when they heard these things uh all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town and to the brow of a hill so they could throw him off a cliff (laughs) like Ladies and gentlemen, unconditional election is not a, pro- a popular doctrine. No. <laughs> people do not like this doctrine. If they try to throw Jesus off a cliff, they're not going to thank pastors for preaching this.
0: <laughs> you know, it's not a popular doctrine, is it? It's not one that people not go... Carnal, not with carnal men, no, and yeah. women. Like, this is the truth. But, yeah, I did, this is the doctrine that I think, you know, uh, we Christians arrive at through the work of the Holy Spirit,
1: isn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. Exactly. I think the brilliant point, well made, is it's the fact that unless, unless you've got the Spirit indwelling in you, you're going to hear this and go... Well, that's not fair. And, and it's it's going to it's gonna respond in you or bring about in you a kind of an anger and a, an outrage. Well, that's not fair. That's not right. But actually, when you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you think, well, well, why wouldn't God do it that way? He's God and I'm not. Yeah. You know, a bit like in Job, when God says to Job, look, Job, basically, I'm God and you are not deal with it. It's a very simple reality that we have to humble ourselves and say, let God be God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to find that... Um spurgeon uh quote actually um about that like where basically people don't have a problem with god when um you know when he's blessing when but but it's actually is when he when he sits on that throne is when we have a problem um yeah yeah so hold on here we go um there's nothing for which the children of God should be more earnestly should more earnestly contend for than the dominion of their master over all creation the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne on the yeah. other hand there is no doctrine more hated by worldlings no truth of which they kick around as the most as the great stupendous yet most certain doctrine of the sovereignty of the infinite Yahweh um, quote they will allow him to be in his work workshop to fashion worlds and make stars they will allow him to be in his position as giver to dispense his gifts and bestow his blessings they will allow him to sustain the earth and uphold its pillars or light the lamps of heaven or rule the waves of the ever moving ocean but when God ascends his throne his creatures then gnash their teeth and when we yeah. proclaim an enthroned God and his right to do as he wills with his own to dispose of his creatures as he thinks well without consulting them in the matter that is when the men turn a deaf ear to us for god on his throne is not the god they love they love him anywhere better than they do when he sits with his scepter in his hand and his crown upon his head but it is god upon the throne that we love to preach it is god upon his throne whom we trust Wow. That's,
1: that's a brilliant quote. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's my shot, And I think it's actually, I think in in, uh, in all fairness, it would be good to ask the question, actually, why do people struggle with unconditional election?
0: Because I know, I know... Yeah, I, I, I do, understand and, it. Yeah. We all understand that. Because I think we've all suffered from it. Yeah, we've all struggled. We've all struggled. I think, I mean, I want to just throw a
1: couple of uh, objections out there we, we might look at. And the first is I think that A lot of people listening to this, maybe you've you've had this question or you've heard others say this, but I think people will say that they think it's not fair. Why should God choose one person and not another? So that's the sort of objection you'll hear quite a lot, and it's kind of understandable. At face Mm -hmm. value, you kind of think that sounds right and fair, but again, you have to dig a bit deeper. And and again, as we've already mentioned, it was a bit of repetition here, but as we've already said it's placing a confidence in works and not grace we're saying god should save that particular person because we perceive them to be a good person so we've obviously got basically the irony of it is is that we're saying well that person's a good person why didn't god save them and the answer is yeah but you're saying this in the current present mm. time and the fact that you're basing on the fact that you think that they're a good person but that also that that view assumes that the fall of man was not total, and you're assuming that there's some good left in people that that God should pay attention to. Well, actually, Isaiah says that your your good deeds are like dirty rags, as God says to Isaiah, doesn't he? That there's actually this. I think we've got this overinflated view of 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 how good we actually are when when we're actually all of sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And and going back to our last episode uh, on total depravity. Uh, the whole point is the whole person is sinful. They're they're dead in sin and they're unable to save themselves. And I, I love that quote. I think you reminded me of it once of um, R.C. Sproul when R.C. Sproul says that if God dealt with us fairly, we would all die and go to hell immediately.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so actually, that you would want, be justice. You want, yeah,
1: you want fair? Yeah, well, we all die and go to hell then. That's fair. Exactly. So then. Uh, then it becomes, well, grace. Well, hang on, what's grace? Is grace not being given what you don't deserve? In which case, well, then, is it not down to the the, the person who's giving the gift to decide who he gives that gift to? Otherwise, then yeah. it's not a gift, is it? If somehow you deserve that, it's an entitlement. Well, if we've if we if we've established that all of us deserve to to go to hell immediately, well, then, if God chooses to, to redeem some people, um, then, then that, that is that is his choice that that is his
0: his entitlement yeah, god, to god, do that t- god would be he'd be absolutely righteous and and just to condemn everyone to hell yeah right it wouldn't be any blot Absolutely on his character right. it wouldn't be any blot on his character at all his love is displayed in his dis- in his saving of anyone right and i think there's this thing we insert in in terms of fairness isn't it, gareth like well yeah you know if he's loving he has to give an offer of salvation to everyone and, and yeah. the immediate question response would be why why does he yeah why does he have to do that he doesn't have Quite to right. do that he's free to do whatever <laughs> he wants He's um, God, isn't he? I mean, so, <laughs> we've got to deal with that fact. It seems to be
1: wrestling with the whole fact that God is God. What does it mean for God to be God and be totally sovereign? Well, yeah. It means that God, God decides what, what's going to happen, not us. And, exactly. you know, his ways are not our ways. His no, thoughts are not shall, our shall thoughts. not the
0: judge of all the earth do right. You know, yeah. th- this is the thing. And and I think we also f- have this strange idea. Uh, strange. I, I understand it. and And there is a part of you that's just... I think it's R.T. Kendall's like, well, you know, if I was God, you know, I would do things differently, but I'm not God and my own ways are yeah. not his ways. And, and we all feel a bit like that sometimes. But there's this thing, isn't there, of like we struggle to understand, well, if God doesn't save everyone or at least doesn't try with his utmost to make sure everyone gets to heaven, you know, and there's this idea of election, him saving some and not others, well, or, or some and leaving others in their sins, as Lorraine Butler says, like how um number one how's that fair um and then number two how does that glorify god ultimately like if all yeah if god is all glorious but actually you know lots of people end up going to hell how does that glorify him doesn't the devil win and we've got yeah. this idea that kind of rob bell you know named in his book love wins right so everyone's going to get saved um and this is the view of many progressive christians these days richard raw you name it who, whoever's in that yeah. realm believes essentially everyone gets saved uh, universal atonement and um and all do uh, come to saving well a saving relationship with with god um and so we think well how how is god glorified if people go to hell but people forget god was glorified in the destruction of the egyptians yeah like he absolutely. was he was glorified in his righteous judgment of the wicked pharaoh's army in in the red sea and moses sings a song of praise immediately after it and in fact some of the the words of that song of praise are repeated in heaven right like <laughs> as, yeah. as it, so like god is actually glorified in his righteous judgment and punishment of wicked individuals and wicked nations all, yeah. th- all throughout the Bible, he's glorified for his destruction of the Canaanite people. He's glorified for his destruction of, of Pharaoh's armies. He's, and these are things that he's praised for. And so I think we are just in the Western world very far removed from that culture and very far removed from that kind of the, the, Hebrewic, the Hebraic roots um, that, yeah. that our Christian faith is built upon. And um, so we don't really understand it fully we don 't really understand that concept of God being actually glorified and be, and should be glorified and magnified in our eyes for righteously judging and punishing wicked sinners um, yeah. we, we sort of don 't see it that way and I, and I think it's it 's right through scripture uh, God is glorified in the punishment of sinners and rebels uh, against his throne, and he will be uh, on that day that great and terrible day so yeah. That's but that's, that's, my that's two another says.
1: objection that I've heard quite a lot, particularly when you're leading Christianity courses and things, people will quite often say, Well it's, what you know. Isn't it cruel that God would allow some to perish eternally? Isn't it cruel that God would send some to hell? And and if you say that God chooses uh, some people for salvation and mm. and allows others, essentially they 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 are being condemned to hell. Now and, and it's interesting. Some people have also asked the question: Well, did Judas go to hell then? Because surely he served a useful purpose. And so, well, actually the answer is there. Jesus says it would be better for that person yeah. not to have been born. So there you go. There's your answer <laughs> to that one. But that's a bit of an side yeah but there is this question isn't there of well isn't god being cruel then if if it allows some people not to be saved and to be lost etern- eternally And how might we answer that one
0: yeah well again i think you have to go back to the fact that there's nobody's deserving of heaven Nobody is deserving yeah. of this any anyone who goes to heaven is going there on the basis of god's free grace um and then secondly he's god he's holy Uh, He's just. And so I think all those who are in heaven eventually with the Lord will look back and see that his judgments were just and were righteous. I I think now even our judgments about these things are still smeared by our sinfulness in many ways. And so that would be my answer. I know it's not going to probably satisfy all of the... The, the questions that people might have but I think that that scripture you know shall not the judge of all the earth do right that that's the comfort for me is that you know if God damns me to hell right Gareth if he yeah. sends Graham Phillips to hell he'll have been right in doing that yeah and I have to come to an agreement with that I'm not God um, it takes a lot of humility he, to say that he, as well he, doesn't it he's God and Spurgeon's mother said that to him she said Char- Charles if the Lord deigns to send you to hell someday for something for apostatizing or whatever then i have comfort in knowing that he will have done rightly because he's god you know what a what a savage thing to say (laughs) you know but but this is it yeah like i think our our comfort has to be in the the fact that he is good he as jesus says in john um six um this one for me is is the biggie is is really the offering the offer of the gospel And this is why my hope is in the gospel, not in some kind of nebulous idea of God's general gushy forbearance and kindness to all sinful creation. Now that's, I think it was Tozer that talked about that in, um, is it Knowledge of the Holy, his book? Um, He says this, he says basically that the, the opiate of the masses is that they believe in some kind of, mushy generally benevolent sloppy God in the sky that's going to basically wink at sin right and he says unfortunately that's just not the God that you find in the scriptures you you find a holy God in the scriptures whereby the only hope of salvation is repent and believe the gospel that's it right yeah don't live your life hoping that somehow you're gonna get and like you know papa santa claus could be like hey welcome i know yeah. you lived your whole life in rebellion against me and that you hate me with every part of you but come on in uh, not gonna happen and no. so you know jesus says in john six 37 to 39 he says all that the father gives me again we have election a giving of people to christ from the father all that the father gives me will come to me and this is the beautiful bit and whoever comes to me i will never cast out no that for me is the hope is you don't want to go to hell you don't want your family to go to hell tell them to come to christ That's all there is to it for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So listen to this. The father has given the elect to the son and the son's job is to make sure that he loses none of the elect but yeah. raises them up on the last day so listen the son of god is making sure that all those the the father has given to him will not fall away and all of those who come to him he will keep and so for me that's the hope is the gospel
1: that's put And I think this is one of the things where I mean, I would have, I would answer that sort of question of you know, what is it cruel that God allows some people to be lost eternally? I'd use the the Romans nine verses that you uh, read earlier of so well, and but it's that say, same thing of saying, you will say to me then, why does He still find fault for for who can resist His will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? <laughs> yes. Will what is moulded say to its moulder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And it is that whole thing. Firstly, I'd say, well, what God does is down to him, mate. Like, it's not down to you. Um, no, I see if it. you think it's cruel, well, his ways are not your ways. But I'll put it another way. If we bring it closer down to the ground, as you've already mentioned, people have so many opportunities in their lives to come to Christ. Mm. And, 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 and they will just reject it. I can remember my grandmother, Oh, my my mother is quite an evangelist and, and she spent so many years, so many years pleading with my grandmother to come to faith, sharing the gospel with her. And my grandmother literally said, literally, you know, just held her hand up, and said, don't talk to me about that. I don't want yeah. to, to hear it. Now, I remember when my, when my grandmother was dying and she was about to go into palliative care. And my mother, I think, went to meet her one last time and she was trying so hard mm. to share the gospel. And all my grandmother cared about was the fact that the fridge the fridge freezer wasn't working properly and she wanted them to order a new fridge freezer for a kitchen, which my uncle ended up having because she never even got to use it because she died shortly afterwards. This is how crazy it is. Yeah. And people laugh when I yeah. tell them that story. I'm like, yeah, you laugh because you think, how crazy is it yeah. that you're just about to die? You don't need that fridge freezer. It's a bit like when Jesus says about that the rich man, he says, let me build bigger barns to put all my stuff in and God says, you fool, today your your, yeah. your life is required of you and this is the message that we're called to, to preach is repent and believe, To do, today is the day of salvation, today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart because the reality is that everybody's got an opportunity to believe and we can split hairs about yeah. whether we think it's fair or not that God chooses some for salvation and some to be lost but the fact is, okay well repent, believe, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, That's believe it. in him repent of your sin and put your faith in jesus christ no i don't want to i'm happy living my life the way i'm living it so well there you go you've already signed your your death warrant for hell you've already said that's what you want so this is the thing where people start to try and talk about it's not fair it's not right well actually you've been offered the chance of salvation you you with your own mouth with your own will have said no yeah so ultimately you can't blame god for the fact that you rejected him ultimately
0: no that's it absolutely i think that's a great answer and and a sobering story um and and a real good example of of how absurd things look in light of eternity you know in light of the truth um and i think this is a comfort i think one of the one of the other questions that people have is well look you know what happens if you know i'm i'm trying to be saved and i want to believe in jesus i want to be a christian but i'm just not on the list i'm not elect right and so i'm there wanting christ wanting salvation but you know i can't get it because i'm not elect and and i think again that's answered in this thing that jesus says you know all the father gives to me will come to me they will there's not they might or you know some will but some will not have the gospel preached to them or you know will fall away all the father gives to me will come to me so if you come into christ with a pure heart you're repenting you're believing then this this is a product of your election and it's the fruit of your election and it's in a sense it's the proof of your election and then he says whoever comes to me I will never cast out so there's not going to be anybody who is there standing before the cross and repenting with all their heart and and truly believing on Christ and he says look I'm just sorry you're not on the list you can't come in he's not going to be that mean bouncer okay if you come to Christ you're repenting you're born again in your heart you're turning from your sins these are all evidence of your prior election, um, and they yeah. are the fruits of that election, and therefore they are a proof of your election. Uh, so we don't need to worry about that. That's brilliant. I, I, I agree with that. I think
1: that's such a, a great place. I think to kind of come to a close, really. I was just wanted to say, you know, that we said it before that we need to let God be God and to humble himself. But that's actually the point. If if you're humble yeah. yourself and and come to Christ. You know that there's today is a day of salvation. We've got an opportunity today. Even if you're listening to this and, and you're not sure that you're saved, have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you fully believed in Him? We're not doing these uh, podcasts to make you feel bad or to try and uh, sort of, as you say, kind of like kind of start an argument or a debate. But we're saying this theology does matter. Yeah. But on the ground level, ultimately. Do you know the lord jesus christ and i've i've had conversations with you know christians who would hold to these doctrines ironically you know these 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 doctrines of grace and yet there seems to be no love or compassion in their heart and i think yeah. you know there can be a real danger as well that we can become that have so much knowledge in our head that there's nothing in our heart that our hearts haven't really been changed by this that's true there's a great there's a great irony we talk about cage stage calvinists don't we for though if you don't know what that is it's essentially Someone who's finally grasped the doctrines of grace, and they're so puffed up with pride because, as Paul says, I think it's in um, Corinthians, he says that pride puffs up. And you know, when you're when you're all sort of suddenly realise the doctrines of grace, and you understand this first, and for, uh, and and it's really dawned on you this is amazing. Instead of being humbled by it, because that's the whole point of what grace should do to you, you become puffed up. So there's this sort of almost joke that someone who's uh, a case K-stage Calvinist, who's arguing with everybody who, who's Arminian, who doesn't believe this, and yet they've missed the whole keyword doctrine of grace... What an irony that it would make you puffed up and proud when actually, if you really did grasp the doctrine of grace, you'd just be blown away by God saved me
0: despite me. Yeah absolutely yeah fantastic well yeah i mean i'm sure that there may be other questions that we haven't gotten around to to dealing with um in today's show so you know if there are questions you have that we didn't deal with um in the show um please do send them in um you can find us on instagram at hammer and tulip um go check that out and do follow and message us Uh, we're on facebook as well you can communicate with us there as well we're always happy to answer more questions that we may have missed Um, please do subscribe to the podcast uh, if you don't already uh, because you know we feel excited about what god has in store for hammer and tulip in 2023 Um, we are going to be um, looking to our very first in-person event at some point this year which we're very pumped about on. so yeah we, we, we want to make sure that those of you who are listening in regularly get all of the news and all of the updates so if you don't already sp- subscribe to the podcast please do that um, if you don't already follow us on social media go ahead and do that share it with anybody that you feel would benefit from it and um, we'll be back next time around with the next installment of the doctrines of grace series that we're doing but until then um, the lord bless all of you and um, we are so grateful to have the opportunity to do this all together so god bless take care god bless